Welcome to the Dark Academicals, the podcast where we delve into the mythos of dark academia one book at a time. I'm Sarah Purnell. And I'm Sophie Waters. And today we are looking at Prep by Curtis Sittenfeld. Shy, smart Lee Fiora leaves the Midwest for the pomp of New England when she decides at 14 that boarding school, specifically alt school in Massachusetts, is for her. She's a pro at putting herself on the sidelines and choosing to observe rather than join in with everything this new world has to offer. But the effects of living with the rich and the privileged is impossible to ignore, and she can't resist Cross Sugarman, the most popular boy in school and everything she's ever wanted from Alt. Mm. So this is our Dark Academia adjacent title for season seven. And this is one of those like cult classic but also modern campus novels. Yeah. Sorry, but before we get any further into it, your content warnings for this book are classism, racism, suicide attempt, bullying, toxic relationships and mental illness. And also be warned that there will be spoilers. This is your spoiler warning because we will be talking about everything and anything that happens in this book, good or bad. If you are not yet signed up for our Substack mailer at the Dark Academicals bookclub.substack.com, you should come and join us. We've got some really fun content over there at the moment. We've got um, exclusive behind the scenes. We've got academic deep dives. And for our paid subscribers, we've got exclusive episodes and extra content too. So why did we choose prep? I have to take the responsibility for this one. So I read this book about 15 years ago. It was my first ever Curtis Sittenfeld and I adored it. And it's one of those books that has stayed on that pedestal I put it back on half my life ago. (laughs) And without (laughs) reading it since, I've been like, that is one of my favourite books. So it's been on the, the Dark Academia adjacent list for ages because it's it is a campus novel and it's one that I remember the most fondly. So, I have regrets. <laughs> I have regrets. Mm. It's, uh, See, I- it's very much a novel from 2005, put it that way. I mean, well, yeah, but I would say that it's almost uh, still a bit old-fashioned for 2005. I don't know. What were we thinking in 2005? I'm not sure, but... Um, I was 13, so probably not a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just wondering just just culturally why this was acceptable, socially why mm. it was acceptable, but, you know, here we are. <laughs> I literally had no, like, preconceptions about prep other than I have read Eligible by Curtis Settenfeld and, like, really gelled with the writing style. Mm. So I was like, this will be fine. This will be great. <laughs> and it is very easy to read. The writing yes. style is really approachable. The chapters are unnecessarily long, but it is a really easy book to read. It's literally just the language and the stereotyping and the content yeah. that we will get onto. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And again, I that aside writing the te- technically like the writing i gelled with again so easily which made it made the sting even worse yeah. i think curtis sittenfeld is a wonderful writer i really like her style i love eligible 
I really love her short story collections. I didn't get on with Romantic Comedy as much, which was her book that came out last summer. Um, But yeah, like now I'm questioning like the position of this paperback that's been on my shelf for 15 years. I'm like, does it deserve to be there anymore? (laughs) And that sucks. But also it's probably good because then I'm not recommending it anymore or or at least not without that caveat. Yeah. Because this needs a big old caveat. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Definitely. So, as ever, we will be running through our tropes of Dark Academia and seeing how prep fits in. And if you want more info on all of those and how we kind of came up with these you can go and listen to an introduction to dark academia which is our very first full episode of the podcast so our first um trope is a higher education setting often on campus and usually elite or exclusive in some way it's definitely elite and exclusive but it is um it's high school isn't it yeah because it's it's a boarding school so she's 14 yeah. when she goes and she's 18 when she leaves. I mean, it feel, I feel like it, it gets a tick on a technicality because it is a considered, I think now, a quintessential like modern campus novel. So yeah. Yeah. this kind of ticks the box on a technical level. Exactly. And it fits kind of the the type of campus and the, the exclusivity um, that we look for in dark academia regardless of what age age range it is because that that fits anyway doesn't it yeah absolutely so all is one of the it's in new england it's um one of those really prestigious a little bit old-fashioned because i think it, it wasn't that long ago that they started accepting girls was it yeah, this was supposed to be a really big deal that they started accepting girls. But yeah. also to make it clear that accepting girls meant that it was harder for the boys to get into the colleges they want. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> isn't it the system used to be on graduation, you used to write down, if you were a boy anyway, when it was all boys, write down what college you wanted to go to and the headmaster would sort that out for you. Yeah, which tells you everything you need to know about alt, really. <laughs> yeah. But now it's so progressive, it lets women or let's young girls come and study and there is at least one person of color who matriculates so progressive so progressive there's even a girl who gets into harvard can you believe it crikey (laughs) (laughs) deary me i think it does make uh quite an accurate and scathing uh review i guess mm. of these kind of private institutions and how they function yeah definitely it's it's very much who you know and what you know and the world that you were brought up in is there's there's not much leeway for those who are not from that world or that no. can't give back money to the school or can't give back prestige to the school you know the people that are there for the leg up for the education for the experiences and opportunities they're less likely to be given to them because their name can't do anything for the school yeah 
I think as well, Lee seems to suffer like the Rory Gilmore effect in the same <laughs> way as when Rory went to Chilton. It was she, she went from being like the star pupil to kind of middling at best at first. Anyway, yeah, you know, like she the the gap, the difference in expectation, mm-hmm. and kind of like it's very clear that public school has not provided you not necessarily with the right education, but just the right. Uh, trick. It's just tricks, isn't it? It's tricks and yeah. tricks and ways of. I don't know what the, what I'm trying to say, but I know, know what you mean. mean. Yeah, <laughs> and it it hasn't prepared her for that kind of life. No, and you know, like there's that whole thing at, uh, towards the end with a newspaper article where the New York Times are coming in to make an article about private schools and you know that they're progressing and they're changing and Lee basically goes well actually this is what it's really like and she kind of you know upsets everyone because she's essentially insulted every other person at that school because they are from that rich privileged world and they fall into those traps yeah um and then People are mad at her and they're like, well, although it's true and we know it's true, we don't say it. We would say it like this. And it's like they've all experienced like media training or something. Yeah, exactly. Whereas they're like, well, of course you can tell the truth, but you don't tell the truth. Yeah. And that's because they've been brought up by congressmen and like people in politics and people who work in banks and do bad things every day that they have to publicly defend, you know. (laughs) Exactly. It's like, I think, is it Cross who says, like, you just, you, you, you chose the wrong outlet. Yeah. Basically, she, she spoke to someone who, which she cannot control the outcome of the article, whereas Mm -hmm. basically he's saying you should have done like an editorial for the alt paper, I think, basically, wasn't it? And like, where was that going to (laughs) go? Other than that's the the point, though, isn't it? Mm. Because that is in control. That is within a closed circle. Whereas the New York Times article could have actual consequences and make actual progress and changes because of the backlash. Yeah. But the school doesn't want to make those changes. The students that are benefiting from that system don't want to make those changes because then they see themselves as losing things, you know? Yeah. That they are feel automatically entitled to by right of being born into money. I did actually like that we had a like education setting where the students were actually studying and engaged with study- studying, rather than it being kind of like, well, they've all got money, they could just buy their way, or like they're all just smart, uh, just naturally or what have you but you I mean, you see lee studying furiously but yeah um you see dd as well yeah exactly and martha so it's suddenly suddenly studies as well yeah she does yeah um the boys not so much <laughs> <laughs> but we don't we don't really see close up with them do we no just aubrey i think yes that's true yeah So next up, we have secret societies. Uh, not in the traditional sense. No, this is more like a social circle thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. than something secret and... Yeah, she's not like elusive. infiltrating a club or anything, is she? She's... No. And she wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Even if there were six secret societies at all, she probably wouldn't know about them. 
because she doesn't get involved enough to know about them. No. Old Gothic architecture. I think that one's an easy tick, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's the chapel for one, which is actually more like a giant cathedral in its like description. (laughs) (laughs) Just a casual cathedral on campus, you know. Yeah, she's Doesn't doing. every school have one of those? <laughs> I find it really interesting. I, I didn't quite know what the like religious affiliation of the school is, but you get like, a, like a, I can't remember what, the, did she get like lunch duty or tidying up duty for missing chapel or something? Yeah. Which was weird, especially like it was a really interesting thing to focus on considering like, there was no real religious aspect to the school and the book in any other way. Well, that's no, quite an it's, interesting. It's about control, isn't it? Like, yeah, most religion usually is, especially like yeah, this. True. Um, you know, it's not so prevalent here anymore, but it's still quite uh, emphasised in America, isn't it? That you're a good, God-fearing citizen. Yeah. Um, you know, and you must be seen to go to church every Sunday or else Mm. whereas I'd be more shocked if someone told me they did go I know yeah (laughs) definitely I'd be like oh okay (laughs) interesting you do you but are you okay (laughs) twice if they're holding you hostage (laughs) it's a cult it's a cult (laughs) Um, talk of cults leads on quite nicely to a preoccupation with classical <laughs> studies, Latin, Greek, literature or philosophy. She doesn't really care that much about anything. No. Other than really... her obsession with Cross. Yeah. I mean, she's she makes that switch, doesn't she? She goes from like being obsessed with her place at alt and worried about losing it and she can't do calculus and algebra and she's really struggling in her subjects to then when cross gives her his attention Mm -hmm. she suddenly doesn't care about homework anymore she doesn't care about um whether she's doing good or not but weirdly her letting go of some of that worry means that she's suddenly doing better and i don't know if that's like almost like making a statement about again about who you know like Mm -hmm. is it because she's now sort of moving in the right circles that she's excelling in this place yeah definitely that's interesting because I kind of took it as the oh well she's taken that like element of like can't get your mind off someone and that kind of need to daydream about them constantly has gone from her brain so she's actually got room for calculus now kind of thing yeah but i think what you read into it is way more interesting <laughs> i think it's both valid yeah but um but i mean it was also interesting that they all do seem to still study like what would be considered like dead subjects so mm-hmm. there was still like latin um I don't know if they said Greek at one point. I know they definitely mentioned Latin, though. I think they have a classics class, don't they? Yeah. I have a classics class. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's there. It's, yeah. it's accessible if you want to um, go in that direction. Yeah. 
Lee just doesn't have any personal inclination towards it. Yeah, she definitely definitely embodies that whole thing that I think we've talked about before where you have this like romantic idea about boarding school or about mm-hmm. these like elite institutions and then you get there and it's like, what do I do now? Yeah. Because <laughs> you, you're basing your whole dream of it based on a photo, aren't you often? Yeah. Or a book or something like that. How about, though, murder? None. Not a single no. one. Have we? I think there's only ever been one other book. I feel like there's only ever been one other book with no murder, and I can't tell you what that is, but that feels like it's true. I think you're right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite sure what it would be, though. I've got to have a look now. <laughs> But yeah, there's definitely one book where we we're like, there's no murder. There might have been an attempted murder, but I, there was no actual no murder. Actual but in murder. this, Prep does not have any murder. Which is crazy. I'm trying to find it now. I, don't, I feel like it wasn't that long ago. <clears throat> I mean, it could be because we're on season seven now, baby. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Nothing is jumping out at me mm. in the scroll. I'll have to have a have a think about that one. <laughs> <laughs> so next up, we've got a dark, moody, and or haunting vibe. Oh, it's definitely moody. It is moody <laughs> uh, because Lee is quite difficult to be in her head. Actually, sometimes. Yeah. Uh, because she overthinks about everything. She's she's one of those characters that is always anxious and worrying, but without like actively trying to solve it, which makes it worse until mm. she just goes, stop, I don't care anymore. <laughs> and that's quite a stressful brain to be in. Yeah, I think what's interesting is even though we see her from 14 to 18, that element of her never goes away. No. It's Not such that it a f- would necessarily, but it usually you see some kind of, even if it's just acceptance of it or like realization of it, like self awareness. There's mm. none. She's still pretty much the same. I would argue, fourteen year old as she is eighteen year old. Yeah, I would agree. Like the the movement and the growth that she goes through is in her social uh, positioning, I guess more than anything but even by the end she's kind of thrown back to square one with the ramifications of that article yeah but i guess instead of people not liking her because or or not thinking about her because she's a bit weird they're deliberately choosing to not think about her because she betrayed them kind of thing yeah i also i really wish that the authorial decision was instead to have her really thrive at college, but instead she just kind of finds that hard, at least since she say like for the first two years or something anyway. Mm. And I don't know, I just felt like maybe that would have been her moment as well because she was away from that. She was at the University of Massachusetts, which everyone seemed to look down upon while she was at Alt. Yeah. Um, and it just could have been really her moment to kind of realize and kind of come to terms with everything but instead she just again seems to list through i think that's maybe part of the problem is that she doesn't really have any 
higher goals at all. Yeah. Yeah, she's not grasping for anything. She's not looking for anything. She's just coasting, isn't she? Yeah. But I guess that's also quite an interesting commentary on the fact that education isn't for everybody. It doesn't it doesn't tick everybody's boxes in the same way. No. Some people don't thrive in that situation and they're, you know, their golden years that are to come after education, which I think is yeah. quite a hopeful message for people who go into that situation and are miserable or lost yeah. or don't really find their place. But obviously in the context found... of the novel, it's quite depressing. <laughs> yeah, and I just found just generally like where she finds herself by the end of the novel is quite bleak. And I just thought it was quite an interesting authorial choice to do that because mm-hmm. not only is she is she kind of burnt all the bridges that <laughs> she the tentative rickety bridges that she had made um <laughs> at Alt have all been burned. Um she goes to the University of Massachusetts where she doesn't actually have a really good time at all. Um she seems to have kind of had this realization about her family that that isn't even a safe space anymore because at first you kind of feel this longing for this like warm comforting like home environment and Mm -hmm. then by the end it's kind of become a place where actually she's not necessarily grown out of it but she's grown into a person that doesn't fit into that anymore so she doesn't have that anymore the only thing that gave me hope was when it said that her dad calls her every day at university and I was like well it's something yeah we've got something I did find it interesting how like my perception of her parents and her home life changed along with Lee's perception of them because at, at yeah. first like you said I, I was like oh these are these are lovely parents they're involved they're engaged they're giving her her freedom letting her do what she wants and then her dad is actually quite cruel a couple of times. I mean, she's not very nice either. No. But he is the parent, he is the adult, and he's not very nice to her at all. And her mum just lets it happen. She doesn't stick up for her at all. And I think that's a really interesting, like, skewing of the dynamic as as you start to see other people's family experience in a different world, and then that changes the way you view your own. Yeah. Which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. But yeah, didn't like her dad. He's a bit of a dick. (laughs) (laughs) Hero worship of a particular figure or author. I mean, not an author, but she could not be more obsessed or worshipful of Cross. (laughs) Yeah, I think... Obviously, it's again, it's not in the usual sense that we would see this kind of hero worship in Dark Academia, but... Yeah, literally from the beginning, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> she has this fixation on Cross. But why? <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing about him that's appealing. <laughs> no, I think it's because he gives her attention. Yeah, it is. It definitely is. It, it is, It's heartbreaking the way he just drops her, though. The way he does. I know. And the way and he it... slides out of the room in that fire drill. Like, I don't particularly like Lee as a character, but my heart still broke for her at that point. Yeah. It's so cruel. 
And it's like when when she's like, you wouldn't have been my boyfriend. And he's like, I was just doing what you told me to do. And she yeah. keeps saying it like, you wouldn't have been my boyfriend. And eventually kind of relents and, and goes, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. He was she trying knew. to hold she the power. She knew from the beginning. I know that she, she was the one who said, like, don't send me flowers. Don't, you know, let's act normal in the corridors or whatever. But it's because she knew if she'd have even gone down that route, he would have been gone. It was protecting herself, wasn't it? Yeah. But also, I imagine there's that that element of prove me wrong. Yeah. Oh, prove no, definitely. me that you're more than that. Prove me that we're yeah. more than that. And he's just utterly gross. I mean, we knew he was gross anyway. Mm-hmm. But all the there are there any good ones in this? Even Aubrey. I mean, yes, he's a nice guy, but also he can't just be her friend. Yeah, it was a bit. It was borderline creepy. Yeah. That he's tutored her for all of these years, and then as she graduates, he drops yeah. her a note. <laughs> it's not even just like a, I don't know, just like I have a crush on you kind of note. It's like you're the most beautiful woman ever. You. And like, <laughs> I think he like actually declares his love, doesn't he? As well. Yeah. He's like, and does that thing. He's like, I know you. You don't have to say it back, or you don't have to return it. And it's like, oh. Well, she doesn't dude. know you like that, so. <laughs> yeah. It's odd because he's probably one of the people that Lee spends the most time with. Yeah. And it would have, it would have been a natural progression if they had had a relationship. I think. Hmm. But yeah, it was it was odd. I don't think it was needed or added anything. No, it was just weird. I think <laughs> for me, anyway, it was a little bit odd. <laughs> it was a little bit odd. So next up, we have old money, which will collide with new money or no money. I mean, yeah, all that's, the time. That's In like spades. <laughs> it's like the backbone of the novel, isn't it? Really, that conflict between the haves and the have-nots. I mean, I know we're probably going to talk about this at length, but can we just say Little Washington and how oh my gosh. she got done dirty in this? So, oh my gosh. Like, yeah. talk about stereotypes. Mm. So, Little Washington is a person of colour. She's black. I think that's how she yeah. would um, identify as. And she um, sort of becomes friends with... Lee, and then there's this whole thing going on about somebody is stealing the money. Mm-hmm. Someone is stealing other people's money, and it turns out to be her. And Lee and dumps it's... her in, and she gets kicked out. Yep. And she's on scholarship too. Yeah. And it's just, it was so unnecessary. It was a real ick. Yeah. Especially as, like, isn't the only other black student, like the star basketball player yeah darden um no, there is another there is another black girl and i can't and it's awful i can't remember her name actually right now but i think she appears like once oh okay she's described as like being really tall and thin because thinness is celebrated in this book too yeah it's um, very much of the um naughty's opinions on body it's incredibly fat phobic yeah but as far as like diversity goes yeah there's literally a handful of uh characters who are not white and when they are not white they are treated abysmally Mm -hmm. and they are stereotyped repeatedly Mm. and even like 
racial slurs aren't are even in there a little bit not not in terms of the character speaking but in terms of how they are described yeah in the actual text yeah so it's not a it's not a character choice it's just the writing of the book mm. um yeah which shamefully is not a thing I remembered at all from when I read it the first time. Which is really quite quite eye-opening, actually, to me. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's and it's I mean, not just for black years, students. Go on, sorry. I read, like, when it came out, it was still, what, 2005? Mm-hmm. But I mean, what, 15 years ago is quite... A long time in somebody's development when you're only 30 something i'm 30 <laughs> okay <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah yeah but it was just something that i didn't remember at all and i was actually shocked mm. so but yeah and it's it's not just the black students it's um there are two mexican girls um, who are very much stereotyped in their clothing and being loud and how they dress and how they act around the boys. Mm. Um, oh, God, that's really bad. What's her name? All of the characters of colour are done a big disservice. Yeah. In this book. And by Lee. That- yeah, I think that there are ways to represent um, like inequalities and racism and classism without actually needing to write it so um, just so I don't know what word I'm looking for, but <laughs> You don't it, in such an offensive way, I guess. Yeah, maybe that's it. Yeah, you don't need to write literally write it on the page in such an offensive way. And also, kind of just say why was Sun Lee the only character who, despite being others being from other backgrounds and having different cultures and having accents, she was the only one whose accent was written mm-hmm. on the page as an accent. So I think she was South Korean. Yes. And quite often, especially early suddenly, because I think the idea is is that her English improves um, by the end. But the way that it's written on page is awful. Yeah. And it's 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 not just like a one off. It's a continued representation of those characters running throughout the book. Yeah. But again, I know. I think, it's... Go on, sorry. I was just gonna say, I think probably for me, Little Washington is probably the worst. Yeah. I found her the most, the the most shocking. I think mm-hmm. from the way that she's, um, kind of the fate that she's dealt in the book. Yeah. In the story, but also it's things like. So the 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 worst the worst was just this whole thing about there being somebody's pubic hairs in the sink. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And they're like, can you please make sure, like, stop leaving your pubic hairs in the sink or whatever. And then later we find out that it's not actually pubic hairs. Lee watches, is watching Little Washington, um, like, comb and oil her, like, do her hair routine in the bathroom. And then what is left behind is hairs that have fallen out of her head. And the, the, the implications of that are mm-hmm. awful. Yeah. Yeah, they are. And it just wasn't necessary. Like, what did it add? Nothing. Story, literally nothing. And like, I think as well, there's the the way that the French teacher is um, ridiculed is not mm-hmm. necessary. Like, you can say that one of the other characters like made fun of her, but then we don't need the actual words on the page. Mm. Yeah. I feel like saying that she was imitated and made fun of was enough yeah. to then use stereotypical kind of um, harmful uh, like words and phrases just isn't necessary. No. There are ways to illustrate those actions and those conflicts without being offensive in the portrayal of that. Yeah. I remember there was one of the girls who Lee describes as being really pretty and that she would actually be really intimidated to talk to her if she wasn't, if she, yep. if she wasn't, if she was white, basically yep. she wouldn't want to talk to her because mm-hmm. that'd be too scary. Yeah. Like what? what? I know. What? And there was another thing where um, it was two of the girls, both of them are really pretty Uh, And they both wear really close-fitting, tight clothes. But one of them is less pretty and fatter. And she's always been shocked at how the fatter girl isn't, like, dissuaded or threatened by the thinner girl. Lee's been so impressed by that. But also shocked, because how? And I was just... I wanted to throw my Kindle across the room. And then there was also... um... Suddenly's roommate, isn't there? I can't remember what she's called. Clara. The one that's Clara, yeah. The way the way that she's presented as well. And she again is described as a as a chubbier girl. She's but you know, despite the fact that she's bigger than everyone else, she's also got all this confidence and how dare she almost, mm. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's also homophobia, just to like get the trifecta. Um, there's a drag party yeah and there's also um, I can't remember the exact wording but it's something about people being dissuaded from coming out of a closet yes Um, and they have they have an interaction with the dean or something yeah because there's no um diversity in gender identity in sexuality whatsoever openly on the page no apart Uh, from sinjin and clara but it's very brief it's a it's it's almost like um it's a voyeurism voyeurism moment for lee it's like a gratification moment for her more than anything else yeah you know but there's also a... but also like the way when it's later described to her 
the way she describes it is it's very predatory as well mm-hmm. and like she also pays the ultimate price for it like even though she does come back to school after we still we never really find out why she attempts to take her own life mm-hmm. but then she goes home for a bit and then comes back to school and it's all fine but later on when we when they've kind of graduated and I think Lee's catching up with everyone or what have you and she describes it to her as just like it's very it's very predatory and very like I don't know I just again I just didn't think it was a particularly helpful representation of like sexual identity and yeah. the exploration of that again it's falling into those god-fearing conservative stereotypes of a same-sex relationship yeah and especially it's it's even worse when it's like actually clara was straight Mm. and she was you know you know it was it was there the the offer was there kind of thing Mm. um it was really uncomfortable yeah well but yeah, old money definitely collides with <laughs> new money or no money. And a lot sure. of other things too. <laughs> yeah. Um, weather is a literary device. I don't know if we get much weather. Not really. We don't really leave the inside of the school very often, to be honest. No. Well, that's true. Yeah, there's there's nothing I can think of at all. No. Even when she goes into Boston or goes to the restaurants or... We're so focused on what's happening inside Lee's head and who she's interacting with or wanting to interact with. We don't really yeah. get any kind of like setting. It's like, oh, you know what Boston looks like. <laughs> yeah. Kind of, and that's that. <laughs> so yeah, no, there's no weather. Mm. Then finally, we've got underdeveloped social skills or the protagonist is portrayed as an outsider. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I think we can comfortably say yes on that one. Mm. But Lee, although she starts genuinely as an outsider, but she, even though she wants to be in, she doesn't and she holds herself outside of it. Mm. And that's a deliberate decision. Yeah. It's not the traditional dark academia um act of wanting to become a part of something and doing everything you can to get there and then finding you know even more when this world blows open for you yeah she never cracks it no and she never pretends to be anything that she's not either no which is usually a part of like outsiders kind of trying to be accepted into the fold isn't it yeah i mean she couldn't she couldn't try and be anyone else she's not even if she wanted to because they all know that she's a scholarship student they all know that she doesn't have any money Mm -hmm. and ultimately that's what matters to everyone so yeah you can't hide it if you don't have a flower bread bedspread you don't have a flower bedspread you know yeah such a weird indicator i know I, is that a is that like a t- a uh a time thing like a 2000s thing 
Maybe. A 2000s America thing that... Or maybe it's just a made-up thing. I don't know. Maybe it's an alt-specific. But... Yeah. That was an odd indicator to me. But... So those are all of our tropes. Was there anything else that you wanted to bring up about prep? Um, No, I don't think so. I think, interestingly, the way that... Again, I think it's just potentially just from a marketing point of view because prep was what uh, a second novel um i don't know off the top of my head but i can check it's just really interesting that it is um it was her first novel was it mm-hmm. so uh, i just feel like this could so easily be marketed as ya but then if it's 2005 is it a bit too early for that yeah, I think it probably is. For this type of novel, I don't think it would it would have made it into YA. No. I think that's actually just a general point on Curtis Sittenfeld because um, in 2023 she released Romantic Comedy and it is a rom-com, it is a romance novel. But because she has written literary fiction before, this book was not marketed as romance or a rom-com. It was marketed as literary fiction. Mm, of course it was. Because she is a, you know, a... I don't know what the word... A high-tier author in that <laughs> made-up, stupid um, terminology of uh, classifying women's writing. That you, It can't just be yeah. a novel. <laughs> no. It has to be... She's in the uh, in moving in the circles where other authors also roam, where their books they can't quite put them into a genre comfortably, mm-hmm. so they just call it literary fiction. Yeah, if it feels highbrow, then we're probably going to have to put it in literary fiction. That's what they go. Is it feel? This feels smart. It feels yeah. smart, and like it might win awards. So we're gonna put it in literary fiction and then from then on you can't write genre fiction because that's going to tarnish your yeah like your reputation as a literary fiction author so regardless of what you write afterwards you're doing literary fiction and she's probably like well this is a it's literary fiction <laughs> <laughs> well prep was nominated for the women's prize yes it was and so was american wife which was her third book so i guess like that nomination on that on your that nomination on on your debut puts you in literary fiction doesn't it immediately because hmm. no one's ever exerted any influence to make get their um authors books onto those prize lists oh no it's not like you have to pay to submit or anything mm. no nothing like that it's all totally just chip yeah Reader's choice Although, uh, not that anyone that, that has doesn't to really work anyway, does it? <laughs> <laughs> I would be really interested to know what books would actually make it onto these lists if it was just free for all readers' choice. Well, I guess I like, mean, the it Goodreads would, Choice it, Awards kind of reflect that, and it's not pretty. <laughs> <laughs> it's a popularity contest, isn't it? So it doesn't yeah, matter if the quality be, of the book. No, well, then it's just going to become the books have the biggest marketing pushes, yeah. but. Exactly. (laughs) 
It's all rigged. It's all rigged. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's it. I could probably talk about Cross Sugarman all day. Um, Does he deserve I it? I mean, no, no. <laughs> he even he doesn't escape the harmful racial stereotyping because when she finds out that he's half Jewish, mm. she's like, "Gosh and golly." Yeah. You can't be. Like, none of this matters. None of it has any import on the book and the plot. Just stop it. <laughs> and then to try and... I feel like at the end, there's her and then there's the um, the the character, the uh, the black guy, the Darden. who is the... Darden, that's the chap. Um, I quite like Darden, actually. I like Darden. Um... um it it all seems to come to a head as some kind of lesson for her about racism and but it's too late by that point mm-hmm. you know it feels like that is almost a way to explain away pages and pages of um racism yeah. essentially um and i'm just not buying it no it's so disappointing <laughs> it's so disappointing <laughs> She made some choices as an author and then also the publisher and the editors of that publishing Mm -hmm. house made some choices and that's what they went with and that's pretty shameful. And it hasn't aged very well. It really hasn't. I mean, it wasn't acceptable back in 2005, but it's even less acceptable (laughs) in now, you know? Yeah. So, is it Dark Academia? Oh, of course not. That's why it's our Dark Academia adjacent book. Exactly. Yeah, it's a campus novel, <laughs> which we all know by now is a kind of precursor to Dark Academia. It's one mm. of its roots. Yeah. Yeah. There's plenty of roots in a book like Prep. Mm. For dark oh, academia. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and with also the caveats with beside this book, um, I can understand why it would appear on somebody's Dark Academia list. Yeah, yeah, I would too. It, it's there's obvious parallels there, and lots of the topics and the the questions, and also the criticisms apply to a lot of more traditional dark academia too. So. Yeah, yeah. So next episode, we are looking at an education in malice by S. T. Gibson. Deep in the forgotten hills of Massachusetts stands Saint Perpetua's College. Isolated and ancient, it is not a place for timid girls. Here, secrets are currency, ambition is lifeblood, and strange ceremonies welcome students into the fold. On her first day of class, Laura Sheridan is thrust into an intense academic rivalry with the beautiful and enigmatic Carmilla. Together, they are drawn into the confidence of their demanding poetry professor, De La Fontaine, who holds her own dark obsession with Camilla. But as their rivalry blossoms into something far more delicious, Laura must confront her own strange hungers. Tangled in a sinister game of politics, bloodthirsty professors and dark magic, Laura and Camilla must decide how much they are willing to sacrifice to their in their ruthless pursuit of knowledge. I can't oh. wait for this book. <laughs> I tell you what, it's really interesting how some completely by accident this season, I feel like all the books have sort of linked together. Yeah. They have, haven't they? Very odd. Maybe we're just like that smart that it's just we're not even conscious of linking all the text together, you know? Yeah, I'll <laughs> take it. 
<laughs> so this one looks like it's inspired by Carmilla by Sheridan Lefanu. Mm. And I love mm. Carmilla. So I'm really, really excited. And I really loved A Diary of Blood as well. So this is going to be a good fun one. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for listening today. We really appreciate it. And we'll speak to you next time. Bye. Bye.